Rethinking Progress, the Circular Economy, a conference presented by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation at Bradford University, March 2014. This is a personal view, my personal view. I'm Anthony Day. I came to Rethinking Progress with my sustainability hat on. I'd read Cradle to Cradle by Browngarten McDonough a while ago, and I thought it was a great idea, but something for the long-term future. I left the conference knowing that sustainability is a dirty word to many people there, and with a, with a realisation that the circular economy is very much here and now. Throughout, we were directed to websites and books. There's a list of links on the website where you found this podcast, which is probably susbiz.biz. What was reinforced throughout the conference is that we currently live in a linear economy. This means that we take, make and discard. We use natural resources in our production process, create products from them and throw them away when we've finished. We then use more natural resources to make more products, so natural capital is depleted and the rubbish heaps get bigger and bigger. Clearly this can't go on, so in a circular economy waste equals food. Everything is reused indefinitely, just like nature. The sessions which I attended over the three days reinforced this basic message, and here's what I learnt. Alicia Gamelovich presented 3D printing and the circular economy. 3D printing, or ad additive manufacturing, is a whole new system, not just a new technology. 3D objects can be printed cheaply in the home or high-precision components can be produced on-site on demand. Objects can be created in plastics, metals or even food. Supply chains are radically shortened, no factory, no distribution, no inventory. There are social implications as well. The Ethical Filament Foundation helps litter pickers from developing nations to create an income by creating feedstocks from waste. Production can be localised. And as each object can be customised, the consumer becomes closely involved with the process. Ken Webster facilitated a session on So You Think You Know About the Circular Economy. He told us that any economy is composed of just energy, materials and information. We worked in teams to see how the various components and policies fitted together in different ways to make either a linear or a circular economy. He introduced concepts like the Chicago Plan, all lending must be backed by deposits, the biological cascade, using materials for different purposes as they degrade throughout their life, and the use of complementary currencies. His example for this was rewarding people for picking up litter, more litter, with free bus tickets. They got free travel using spare capacity on the buses and the litter got picked up. Many years ago, I had an idea for a recycling reception centre. People would bring in newspapers and bottles and tinfoil and so on, and I'd give them trading stamps in return. It never happened. And who remembers Green Shield stamps now? We need to tax things that we don't want to happen, like resource use, rather than taxing things we do want to happen, like employment. Flora Popelars spoke on designing products for a circular economy. Her presentation was based on her internship with Vodafone when she examined the possibility of a reusable mobile phone. The circular economy implies services rather than consumption. In other words, a mobile phone user does not own the phone. They pay a monthly subscription for a phone service. And if anything goes wrong with the handset, it goes back to the manufacturer. 
and replacement is provided. To make this business model viable, the manufacturer must be able to disassemble the handset and repair or remanufacture it. We saw how designing for disassembly is important and how it permits customization as well as reuse. Motorola's project ARA and phone blocks both show how the consumer can choose a better camera, a louder speaker or a dual SIM configuration or anything else to meet their needs. Flora also told us about Ask Nature, the website which shows how nature addresses problems from aeronautics to architecture and sounds to swimming and how we might adopt these techniques. It's worth a look. The first day closed with a presentation by Ellen MacArthur by Telepresence from HQ in the Isle of Wight. The Ellen MacArthur Foundation was established in 2010, backed initially by National Grid, Renault, BT, Cisco and Kingfisher, and now by Unilever, Philips and McKinsey as well. It is accepted at the World Economic Forum, linked with universities across the world, holds an annual summit and is planning a disruptive innovation festival for October of this year. Ellen explained how efficiency is fundamentally important, but it is a transitional strategy. Efficiency cannot be increased indefinitely. As somebody said, the laws of physics are non-negotiable. She gave us another example of the service economy where Philips is contracted to provide lumens, not lighting equipment. Philips provides the lights and the electricity and the client pays for a guaranteed level of illumination. She reminded us that food waste going to landfill in a, in a traditional linear economy represents a loss of embedded heat, energy and fertiliser. In a circular economy, this all goes back into the production process. It was an inspiring presentation, difficult to replicate. I certainly left looking forward to the next day. I started day two with a short talk module. James Walker, head of closed-loop innovation at Kingfisher, presented the role of the consumer in the circular economy. He made the point that as a retailer he didn't want consumers to stop consuming or he'd be out of business. For me, he made the most important point of the whole three days. To paraphrase, you won't motivate customers or business to change behaviour by frightening them or preaching the circular economy agenda. You need to motivate them by offering them value, not problems. For example, if we want to stop people throwing old electrical items into landfill, we can offer discounts or gift vouchers on part exchange. The message is key and needs to appeal to the customer. It probably won't mention green, sustainability or the circular economy, but must be designed to stimulate the behaviour that meets those objectives. Make the consumer feel good, because problems don't solve problems. The second short talk was from Ken Webster on systems thinking, education and a circular economy. Ken reminded us of the traditional take-make-dispose economy and contrasted it with a butterfly diagram of the circular economy. You can find the diagram on the ellamacarthurfoundation.org website. It's probably a good idea to go and have a look at that. It's uh, really interesting. The two wings of the butterfly represent the biological cycle and the technical cycle each a closed loop as far as possible. The technical side mimics the biological side. On the technical side, products are maintained to extend their lives. When this is no longer possible, they're reused or redistributed. When they no longer work at all, they can be remanufactured. And when they're finally worn out, the materials and components can be recycled into new. Waste and disposal in landfill is minimized. The technical cycle has recycling as part of the process but as the last resort. 
Recycling in our current linear economy is frequently the first choice after disposal. It is usually incomplete, sending some parts straight to landfill. It is usually downcycling, producing an inferior product, which itself goes to landfill in due course. Ken told us about ordered complexity. I need to look that up. And how this should be the focus of education because this is the real world. He told us that in a wired world, teachers are no... A wired world, I said not a wild word. Teachers are no longer the sole source of learning. If people really want to find things out, they can ignore formal education and do it anyway. You don't need permission for a revolution. Things are changing. What's the connection between reoffending prisoners, 80,000 tonnes of frozen shrimp and a double-decker bus? Why, the circular economy, of course. Graham Wiles from Flowgrow Systems presented Aquaponics and Bioflock, a circular economy solution to food security. Apparently, we eat 80,000 tonnes of frozen shrimp in the UK each year, and these are harvested by bottom trawling, an unsustainable technique which devastates the seabed. Graham's solution is aquaculture, growing the shrimps in tanks. But there's more. Growing shrimps produces waste, and Graham has used the waste to grow plants. Combining hydroponics with aquaculture produces aquaponics, a circular system. There's still more. Graham has involved offenders, excluded pupils and mental patients in the construction of his aquaponic units. It's given them motivation, self-confidence and skills to move on to other jobs. Win, win, win. And the double-decker bus? Apparently he once had to install a fish farm in a bus to avoid planning restrictions. Circular economy, why it makes business sense. Ella Jamson told us how the rapid rise of developing countries, ten times faster than the original Industrial Revolution, is putting pressure on resource prices and exaggerating price volatility. She reminded us that the biological cycle recycles and reabsorbs almost everything, while the industrialised technical cycle ultimately sends almost everything to landfill. Successful reuse, remanufacture and recycling depends on the initial design. Ella quoted figures showing products not designed for reuse, had lower or negative values than those that had been adapted at the design stage. How do we bring products back into the supply chain rather than into the waste stream? By offering discounts for trading, by not selling products, but by renting their use. Car clubs are an example. The rental model makes higher quality products more easily available because consumers do not have to find a high initial purchase cost. Education is geared to the linear economy. It is now time to change and adapt. It is now time to convince policymakers that the linear economy is, model is broken. The potential savings from adopting the circular economy are considerable. It has been calculated that the annual material savings on medium-life goods in the EU could be as much as $630 billion. The annual material savings on consumer goods could be $700 billion. And there would be energy savings as well. Higher education to enable a circular economy was a popular session facilitated by Professor Peter Hopkinson and Stephanie Hubold. I'm not an academic, so I really went along to watch. Separated into groups, we looked at how higher education should be developed to incorporate the circular economy. My group looked at business education. We're going to launch the CMBA, the Circular MBA. I look forward to signing up for the one-year course. Time for a game. Katie Whalen has developed a board game which could be the monopoly of the 21st century. 
Appropriately, it's played on a circular board and it focuses on materials which are critically scarce. Each player is assigned a product which needs, needs up to three of these resources. The object of the game is to obtain the materials and manufacture the products. The first to produce three items wins. Like Monopoly, there are wild cards. These are strategies such as remanufacture or redesign to save material, and players can choose whether or not to buy these. Then there are world events announced every so often by the game facilitator. Events such as massive price increases or export bans by China, the major producer of most of these materials. Current events could be fed into the game. We have the opportunity to play, to play with the only two sets of playing pieces that exist. I really hope this game can be commercialised. It's a valuable teaching tool for students and for business people. Yes, it's still day two. And the final session I attended was Teaching Circular Economy in a Global Context by Rob de Vrindt. Rob hit us with masses of pictures and masses of ideas. He took us from Internet 0.0 to Internet 5.0 and beyond. Here are some of the ideas he shared. Multinationals should be contained. We need to move from egocentrism to ego ecocentrism. Nice idea, but will turkeys vote for Christmas? Tax materials, not labour. Read Jeff Stace. Do diplomas kill passion and talent? Look at the phone blocks video on YouTube. Check out the free resources at the Khan Academy. Links to all of these are on the susbiz.biz website. The internet is now responding to customised requests like lift share and car sharing. Is social lending the end for banks? What about crowdfunding? Why buy when you can borrow, especially things which you use infrequently or only for a short time? eBay and FreeCycle are part of the intelligent circular economy. Sustainability is making things less bad, but it's not the whole solution. Nature works on renewable energy. Why not us? 50% of energy of electricity in Germany comes from renewables, but only 4% in Holland. Some work to do there. There's 50 times as much gold in an iPhone than in the gold ores currently mined in South Africa. We use toxic materials. Nature does not. Bio-based compostable plastics are available now. Unfortunately, the compostable plastic bottle is a contaminant when mixed with traditional bottles for recycling. It's still a step in the right direction, though. Trigema makes compostable t-shirts. Puma makes compostable shoes. Deso carpets clean the air. Some Dulux paints clean the air. Companies like Steelcase Solutions lease office furniture. Herman Miller office chairs are designed for disassembly, although spares are very expensive at present. Increasingly, standards require that air and water leaving industrial plants are cleaner than when they went in. Have a look at the Wuhan energy flower. Just Google Wuhan, W-U-H-A-N, energy flower. It is an amazing building. The book Cradle to Cradle broke new ground. Products can now be Cradle to Cradle certified. Why are we not using more geothermal energy? We can print 3D plastic PV panels or even print stem cells. After all those ideas, I just wanted to go home. Day three, nine o'clock in Bradford and four o'clock in the afternoon in Hong Kong. Paul Clark addressed us across the ether on a web link. Pop-up farm, engaging schools, communities and business in the transformation of the urban mind. Paul started by setting the scene. 
The fact that 99% of all food for Hong Kong is imported. That the utility of all our institutions is under strain. That we have only a 20 to 25 year window to change from industrial to ecological lifestyles. That Beijing is nearly paralysed by smog, while China commissions seven new coal-fired power stations every month. Business as usual is leading us on track not for a 2% uh, sorry, a 2 degree increase by the end of the century, but 6 degrees. If we carry on like this, 30% of all mammals will be extinct by 2030. We are facing the great die-out, the most significant extinction since the age of the dinosaurs. Only 3% of the world's water is potable. Food and agriculture depend on fossil fuels. Soils are being compacted and nature is being stifled. Much topsoil is now being washed irretrievably away. This can only lead to food insecurity and social unrest. And now the good news. Coffee Club is taking the message, the promise of a different future, into schools. Quality coffee is supplied to schools and sold on at a profit to parents, with profits used to establish eco-projects. Students analyse the supply chain. The links right back to the farm can be accessed via, via a QR code on every packet. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Earth is an online game from the Pop-Up Foundation. It starts with a doomsday scenario. Will that motivate students or just depress them? Either way, Paul firmly believes that education must change. Education is in the dark ages. It's training for a world that no longer exists. Boot camp on the circular economy. Yes, it's Ken Webster again. He started off with an illustration of key trends, population, energy and all the rest, all trending towards infinity and demonstrating the impossibility of business as usual. This session represented a number of recurring themes and reinforced them by putting a different spin on them. Recycling legitimises the linear economy. It's only a halfway house, postponing the trip to the tip for resources. Renting or leasing is already the business model for many major industrial goods, such as truck tyres or aero engines. eBay is almost a rental system. Buy it, use it, put it back on eBay. Don't recycle, upcycle. Ken couldn't immediately think of an example of this, but I'm sure there is one. At the very least, keep things in the production loop and minimise waste of every kind. A problem with recycling is that if it's super successful, it suppresses demand. Our economy and our banking system both depend on growth. Infinite growth is impossible in a linear economy. The circular economy is the only answer. We can have continuing growth as long as we can reuse, remanufacture and recycle our resources. The final session I attended was the Circular Economy in the Classroom, a drop-in session. A very professional presentation by teachers from Skipton Girls High School and Archbishop Holgate School in York showed just how much can be done to teach the circular economy and how enthusiastic the pupils are. Like the whole of the conference, it demonstrated that while the future reality could be doom and gloom, there is so much enthusiasm and so many ideas out there. All that remains is to convince business and the policymakers. This has been a very brief overview of what I gained from the Rethinking Progress Conference. Thanks to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation for the invitation and for making it all possible. As I said, you can find links to numbers of websites and recommended books on the website where this podcast is published, which is susbiz.biz. Thanks for listening. My name's Anthony Day. Do get in touch if you want to know more or to talk about sustainability, sustainable business or sustainability in schools. Bye for now.